Welcome to Every Horror Movie on Netflix, the show where we watch, review, and discuss every horror movie on Netflix. I'm Steven. I'm here as always with my friends and co-hosts, Chris. Hello. And Patrick. Sup. And today we are here to choose or die. That's right. The the long-awaited episode on the movie that, that <laughs> I chose so I wouldn't have to die, choose or die. I almost died in the meantime, but thankfully... <laughs> I'm here to offer my take with these two gentlemen. Uh, before we start level one, why don't we talk about what we've been watching, reviewing, and discussing horror-wise over the last few weeks? Uh, Chris, why don't you go first? Uh, so I finally played The Last of Us Part Two. Oh, shit. All right. And I could talk about it for probably three hours, but uh, suffice to say, it, it ended kind of strong, I thought. So it's kind of colored my read of the whole game, but um, my suspicions were correct that The Last of Us is not a game that necessitates a sequel. And for the most part, I disdained this game. <laughs> this game was a shame. <laughs> it was so bad. I was screaming at how bad it was. The 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 bluntness at which it delivers its narrative and its like themes and moral lessons, I thought was some of the stupidest shit I have ever seen. Thinking it was way smarter than it was. I thought it was politically confused and problematic and it went on forever i could not stand this game and i told patrick i kind of i I play this game to discuss it but i kind of don't want to discuss it because if someone says oh i actually thought this was a good game i don't want to talk to you i do i (laughs) like i don't respect that opinion (laughs) so hey based on what you've told me it sounds like a miserable experience it sounds like the game wants you to feel miserable yes and you feel miserable um you feel miserable through the events of the narrative but you also it was a miserable playing experience for me and i think the world and the gameplay are not that fun when you don't have a good story and good motivated characters driving it um so I don't know. I mean, there were some very strong parts. And the first, like, three or four hours of the game, I was like, oh, this is great. Can't believe people were hating on this game. I'm all in for this game. But woof. Um, I might play it again someday. I, I, I don't hate it enough to sell it. It was interesting. And that's, I guess, how I'll close my remarks on that. It was an interesting game. And I am glad that they took such big swings trying to make a game like this and and tried to do all the stuff they tried to do but i think they really ran up against the limits both of their own intellect and also of the video game format there were a lot of moments where the the heaviness of the narrative was bumping into the uh uh trivial gamey stuff and it didn't work for me so that's my review 
I guess it was an interesting experience, but I won't recommend it to anyone. And it kind of, it almost made me not want to recommend The Last of Us 1 to somebody recently because I was playing this and having such a miserable time. And I was like, this isn't that different from the first game, though, on a gameplay level. Is the first game good? So, (laughs) I don't know. That's my take on that. In the interest of a quick uh, point-counterpoint, I'll add my two cents, or at least a cent and a half, since I I mentioned playing this a few episodes ago, and I don't think I really said anything else about it since I finished it. Um, I mostly enjoyed it and had kind of the inverse of Chris's experience, where I was very into it for most of the game, and wasn't disappointed in the ending, but a little overwhelmed, sorry, a little underwhelmed. I don't really know what else it could have done at that point, but especially the last few hours of the game were honestly some of the weakest of, of the whole thing to me. I enjoyed it overall. I liked the exercise in empathy. It is way too fucking long. Um, and I guess, sure, you can uh, graft some political stuff onto it about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, which Neil Druckmann <laughs> has very uh, explicitly pointed to in his own comments on the story. Um but for the most part, I enjoyed it. It's a far cry from The Last of Us 1, but um, I still admired it. And and frankly, with these two very disparate opinions on it, I would love to hear from anyone in our in our listenership who has played this game, and especially if they would if they have any comparison to the first one, I'd love to hear uh, others' thoughts on it. Because obviously there are a lot of thoughts on this game out there, but uh, our fans are a uniquely smart bunch, and I would like to hear their opinions so sound off in the discord there's always a link to that in the show notes Um, we'd love to hear from you about your thoughts on the last of us part two one final thought if hbo literally adapts this into a season of tv or two seasons of tv it's gonna be two as they did the first game two i i think they're out of their fucking minds i i I actually agree with that I I think they need to use the game maybe as inspiration, but do a totally different story. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't have any desire to see this as a TV show actually, and I have no again enjoyed it. You said you might play it again. I would never play this again. I have no interest in playing it again. I barely have interest in playing the first one again. I did want to see it as a TV show. Don't have any interest in seeing this as a show. Mm-hmm. Probably will still watch it out of some weird sense of obligation, but. That's about it. And it's, and especially because they've said as much. They're breaking this into two seasons. You know exactly where they're going to break it and how they're going to do it. And I don't care. <laughs> I don't want to see that. Yeah. I would maybe one season I would be excited about seeing that. But I feel only some sense of obligation about watching the inevitable HBO adaptation. Patrick, what else have you been watching or consuming? Oh, man. Lots of good shit. I rewatched uh, an Amon favorite, Malignant, recently with a group of people, mm. including both some existing fans and some people who had never seen it before. So it was quite a delight to see them process that uh, that insane moment, that insane twist that we all know and love. I don't know if I could um, do that. I, 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 because you have to sit there for like an hour and twenty minutes with your friends, just thinking you're the dumbest person in the world for recommending this. <laughs> yes. Oh, I did have a lot of that experience because that's well. I mean, that's some of the thing. It's not the most rewatchable movie unless you are with people who haven't seen it before. Like there is a solid hour of that. That's just. It's not bad. It's just almost dull for a while, and then all of a sudden everything is recontextualized in the most insane way. Um, but I was glad, but I was glad I did, 
uh, rewatch it with with folks who hadn't seen it before. Um, I also followed up on a couple of very strong recommendations from each of you uh, since we met last. I finally watched Resurrection with Tim Roth and uh, Rebecca Hall. Oh, which yeah. was just spellbinding, gripping, bizarre, incredibly well put together on every level. I really enjoyed that. And uh, I watched Chris's Blue of All About Evil as well. Oh, which nice. a damn treat. Um, I'm not going to spend any time explaining those because they've been explained on this show before um and as a final note uh with the same group in fact that i watched malignant with i also (laughs) continued my very disjointed journey of watching the twilight saga and watched breaking dawn part one also a damn delight in part because you know we'd all been having a a bit of a raucous night and uh one member of our party was just skimming through the movie anytime he got bored so i probably only really watched half of breaking dawn part one but the half i saw was an absolute doozy and makes me want to sit down and actually watch the four movies that i haven't actually like devoted my full attention to in their entirety because just what a strange and delightful franchise both in intended and unintended ways i think but that was certainly Mm -hmm. the wildest by far the wildest the wildest moment of many wild ones in that one was a group of cgi wolves having a conversation where no wolf's mouth moves they're just having this very intense like political discussion but all talking to each other without their mouths moving they they use telepathy lost our minds tell you i was gonna ask yeah they They talk to to each other the same way your cats do wait do we know this Animals are tell have telepathy. Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, I meant in the Twilight Saga universe, but I didn't know that animals had telepathy. How in do you real think life. Well, the, the wolves? How do you think a pack of wolves coordinates and attacks you as a human walking along in the woods from all angles at the same time and makes? Are you, you serious? Escape? Are you saying scientifically wolves have telepathy? They have telepathy. Um, <laughs> you know, we can. You should have, turn the subtitles on. Next time you watch The Grey, turn the subtitles on and you'll see. Yeah. <laughs> We're talking to each other that whole movie. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Steven, what have you learned about wolf telepathy since we last met? Um, or, or, you know, just, or just what horror movies have you watched? Really, actually, nothing, uh, which is kind of surprising because it's been so long since we've sat down to record. Uh, but I will plug my book club for Pride Month. We are reading uh, Poppy Z. Bright's Lost Souls. This has been on my reading list for like 20 years. Uh, Poppy Z. Bright was kind of a famous rising literary horror star in the early to mid 90s. Uh, he has since transitioned and is now known as Billy Martin and primarily sells antiques and writes uh, uh, f- fiction about New Orleans or that takes place in New Orleans. Uh, Lost Souls also takes place in New Orleans, and I'm really digging it so far. It's a very uh, so far. It's a very gritty, queer, gender bending uh, vampire story. Super violent. Lots of blood. Lots of cum. So if that sounds good <laughs> to you, join us on the Discord. We'll be discussing that sometime around the end of June. I'll announce a date in a couple of weeks. I have not started it yet, but I do have my copy, and I'm very excited nice. to dig in because I love New Orleans, and I've been excited to read something by this author for a long time. So I'm into it. So uh, I guess we should discuss the feature at hand. Choose or die. 
This is a movie about a haunted video game starring Asa Butterfield and uh, who else is in this? Asa Butterfield, girl? who was Hugo. Hugo, of course. He, he went was fucking from, Ender, too. He went from working with Martin Scorsese and Harrison Ford to this. <laughs> to this. Ouch. To this, uh, this classic unmade episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark? Hey, oh, this hey, is what it felt he, like to me. He went to working with Robert England in a 90-second voice cameo. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. This, this uh, damn. Yeah. And Choose, Eddie Marson, who I fucking love Eddie Marson. Choose or Die is a 2022 film directed by someone named Toby Meekins, who I've never heard of before. It's his feature debut. And uh, it's about uh, two young students, uh, Kayla and Isaac, played by Hugo. And they are computer <laughs> nerds in a retro way. They like collecting like old estate sale electronics and shit, tinkering with it. They th- are playing vintage games. They think it's really cool. And they discover a cassette because video games used to be distributed on cassette for those Gen Xers out there who remember. And they found this game called Cursor. Curse less than R or something like that. It's it's stylized. Which was supposed to be the title of the movie, and I say better title. It's Should a good title. Yeah, just leave out the fucking like punctuation, like call it C U R S E R or C U I I don't know. I don't know. It's it's, it's fun. Of, I like a, it's I a like good the pun. I like the wordplay of cursor, like a cursor on a computer, but also a game that curses you. That's fun. Cursor. Yeah, there's the cursey yeah. and the cursor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, this game is apparently some horror puzzle game, and apparently it's like a text-based a- RPG, which I fucking miss these kind of games. And it, this right. movie actually made me want to write a modern one because they're fun. Like, who needs who needs photorealistic Ellie wading in water and her clothes completely soaked in The Last of Us Part Two when you can just have you are walking into water. Do you keep yeah. walking into the water, or do you step out of the water? It doesn't matter how realistic it looks. It's all ones and zeros, baby. Minimalism. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So Back to anyway, basics. So Cursor has a like a $100,000 unclaimed prize attached to it. If you beat mm-hmm. the game, you get to call the hotline and, and claim the prize. And these kids say, hey, we're broke as shit. That's $100,000 is a lot of money. We're computer nerds. We're serious gamers. We can do this damn thing. Little do they know, the game is fucking haunted. And we've already seen some shut-in, reclusive Gen X guy. Who? Eddie Marsan. How do we know him? Fucking you would know him from B for Vendetta or Mission Impossible 3. Oh yeah! Oh, do yeah, I even guy. know you? That <laughs> these guy. are two of your favorite films of all time. He's in Mission Impossible Three. Who's he playing? Yeah, I don't fucking know. It's just in his Wikipedia page. Bronway. Oh, he play. I I remember. I think I remember him. Yeah, he's just that's one of those guys. Cut. He's a great character he's, actor. He has a great face. He plays. He just plays <laughs> fuckers really well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, fuckers. You said. Fuckers, yeah, he plays. Yeah, well, he's fuckers. a fucker in this movie. He sure is. 
Yeah, well, he he basically is a. We you see in the prologue that he starts like you know he's got his like eighties nostalgia den in his basement. Yeah. He's got the Nightmare on Elm Street poster on the wall, which I think is is significant. And he yes. starts playing this game, and the game like is conjuring magic item, like conjuring things out of thin air around him. It's bending reality. All is not what it seems. The game's turning off the power to his house, and eventually, like. I don't know. Some sort of horrible thing happens to his wife or his kid. They lose a body part or something like that. They cut the, the wife like cuts her ear off or something like that. Yeah. The so. game is like, you know, cut your wife's ear off or cut your son's eyes out or something like that. Like that's the choice. And then for the first time we see the prompt choose or die, which is what happens to everybody with this game eventually is they're forced into awful Saw-esque choices and threatened that if they don't make a choice, they will die themselves. Yeah. And importantly, he's 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 rocking out to Gary Newman's, or actually I think it's the Two-Way Army's Our Friends Electric during this scene. And that song, uh, maybe we'll have to get into it at some point, comes up so many times in this movie, including in the climax. And I truly do not understand why beyond maybe the whole nostalgia thing is it different versions of the song i guess i don't remember it coming up no it's the same song it comes up like it's supposed to really mean something and i don't know it does but i love a gary newman song in a movie Mm -hmm. yeah so basically our heroes the the premise of the movie is they gotta you know they gotta stay alive try to play the game see and and see if they can you know kind of unravel the mystery of sort of what this game is, how it works and who created it, how they can stop it, how they can stop this fucking curse. I mean, I would just log off personally. Do they try sure. that? I don't think you can. I, I I don't know if it's ever explained, but I think once you, once you make your first choice or once you log on, you're just stuck with it and it'll find ways to get to you. Right. Okay. So oh, let me ask thing. you, well, hold on, because that brings me to my, my that brings me to like my first big problem, the, the the movie breaking problem I had with this movie. You're right, they can't do anything about it because the game bends reality and yeah. it doesn't play fair. And so there's nothing you can do to get away from it or not make a choice, etc. If you were to take the cassette out and cut it into ribbons and and throw your computer in the garbage, uh, you'd just be like in a mall one day and there'd be a computer like appear in front of you with the same. And game. that happens basically yes. at the end of this movie, they do try to destroy the tape and then, yeah, we'll get into what happens with that. Yeah. So there's nothing you can do. So that, that for me really checks me out of the movie because if there's nothing you can do and it just, ha- it's omnipotent, omnipotent, nothing, anything, nothing, anybody does matters in this movie. It's just like, I know. mean, I guess, but I mean, I was, uh, that to me is compelling. That's scary. The thing that you can't get away from. And I like the basic concept of like a cursed computer game. That's fun. You know, I like the I nostalgia element and uh, yeah, it's uh, scary. I mean, yeah, it would be almost kind of a let down in some ways if you could just you know, just throw the tape away. No big deal, you know, but it keeps well, there wouldn't be a movie. That's what's scary. See, that's what's scary. Yeah, there wouldn't be a movie, exactly. There is kind of an It Follows, or I think they're trying for a little bit of an It Follows vibe with this, too. Like, not just mm-hmm. in, like, sort of uh, the direction and kind of, like, the visual, visual style, but also, yeah, with that thing that you can't escape. I want to pose a question to you guys, though. Uh, 
have you ever op- have you ever like looked at an old magazine and there's Never. like and you open it up and there's like one of those little cards in there where there's like special like masks or props from some company and you can order them and have you ever thought Hmm, this magazine's 20 years old. I'm just going to enclose a check for $20 and send it <laughs> off and see what happens. Oh, yeah. Oh, right? Like, who that. would do that? Why yeah. would someone do that? And that's basically what the the premise of this movie hinges on, is that these characters take this risk to play this game because they think that that $125,000 from 30 years ago is still on the table without calling a phone number to even figure <laughs> out if that company still exists. I mean, okay. I have Come two, on. I have two brief things to say about this. One... I miss when, because I used to do that. I would order things out of a magazine or a cereal box or whatever. I miss sending a fucking self. This is the this is me being a boomer. Like this is this is millennials becoming boomers. But I miss when you could when you could actually do that and get something back. You know. So now I see the old magazine. I'm like, oh, I want to send them my envelope and my totally dollar to get something that is worth you know so much more than that now probably or maybe not that much more. But my main question, my second thing is. Were there really games that like offered this big of a cash prize? I, I don't know. I, I I didn't look into this. Do we know? There were definitely like promotions and sweepstakes and things like this. I feel like there had to be at least one game that was like this was so difficult. If you can beat it, and that would get people to buy the game. I don't have a specific example, but it's to me it's believable enough, and it's like a. Mm-hmm. A low enough amount of money. It's not like a million dollars, right? It's like something that, like, basically, it's part of the promotion budget for the game. I would feel like if sure. you were to do something like this, it doesn't. It doesn't seem outlandish to me. Yeah. What is outlandish is that these characters decide to go through with it because they just blindly think that this money is going to come from somewhere if they actually do beat the game this long after it was made. It's like those haunted houses where they're like, yeah, if you can make it through this haunted house. <laughs> it's so scary. If you can make it through, we'll give you your money back. And then like the real reason you can't make it through is because it's a maze and there's like a trap door that kicks you out of the maze before it's <laughs> over. <laughs> <laughs> but as far as like the plausibility of them pursuing the cash prize, I mean, they create like a pretty to me, plausible uh, urban legend, conspiracy theory, whatever, about how there are a lot of these old games out there where there's these unclaimed cash prizes that have just sat there, you know, in a bank account or something for decades, and they're going to try and see if they can cash in on it. That, to me, was even okay. not knowing the reality of this, of if this happened in real life, I was like, oh, that's, that's kind of cool. You know, that's kind of weird. There would be this obscure game out there that maybe nobody actually, you know claimed the prize for so sure why not it's a cool idea but it reminds me more of like something that like i could suspend my disbelief for that in an are you afraid of the dark episode and not necessarily a feature horror film Mm. i guess that's where that's what it kind of like kind of like compounded with all of the other aspects of this movie that show you that the stakes aren't really as big as they could be or should be it just makes it even even less uh interesting to me less likely for me to want to follow along well, and I, I tipped my hat to this earlier, but like we should also note, like Robert England is the voice of the like the voicemail message that they call yeah. when they call the number to find out the information about this cash prize. Like he recorded this message however many years ago, and I mean, I guess spoiler alert, but I was expecting him to show up in a more like material fashion. Like I was expecting them to like get to the the final showdown or something at the end of this and him to show up in the flesh. But no, literally 
Robert Englund just sat down in a voice booth, recorded like a paragraph of dialogue and cashed the fuck out from this movie. It's generous of you to say that he sat in a voice booth because to me, <laughs> this is like the ultimate COVID gig. He like, left a really? voicemail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. He probably just like they gave him the lines and he left a voicemail and that was it. He's like, great. <laughs> I'm taking COVID precautions very seriously. I don't want to leave the house, but I still want to work. He, yeah. he pulled a Neville. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and, and you know, I feel like. This is, I'm sure most of our audience knows who Robert Englund is, but you know, we got some people who aren't necessarily horror fans. We're talking about sure. Freddy Krueger. He's the, he's the actor who played Freddy Krueger and now his bread and butter is doing like, you know, two minute cameos in every straight to video, uh, <laughs> horror movie that's out there. Yeah. He's you know, like, like a Tony Todd or a, you know, there's a lot of a Bill Mosley, like these guys that are just kind of slumming it based on their the peak in in their careers like 30 years plus ago. Yeah, there's a lot of actors who are famous in the horror community and not famous outside of it, which is kind of interesting because uh-huh. Robert Englund's probably top of the heap. Um where I would say so. He's a household name for anyone who's at all engaged with horror movies, but no one who's not a horror fan, even if they like the a Nightmare on Elm Street, has ever heard of him. <laughs> you know i don't know well, if i would go I, that far but sure i would say so well i, I think he his his star has risen back up a little bit in recent years because he was on stranger things right oh yeah i, I know a no younger audience might know him from that oh, yeah. i'm not gonna watch that bullshit but i heard and he was that. on uh the, the goldbergs or whatever <laughs> <laughs> he, the goldbergs he, like the he, sitcom yeah he rep- or he uh was it the goldbergs he reprised his role as Freddy for like a dream sequence on one of these sitcom shows a couple years wow. ago. Yeah. Oh, wow. I feel like he did that on Roseanne too, back in the day. I'll have to look uh, that maybe, up and make sure I'm not crazy. I don't know, but yeah, but so, but he's, yeah. So you're expecting to see him do his two minute cameo at the end well, of the movie. It, it doesn't okay. Happen. Wait, hold on. I want to follow up on that idea really quickly before we, before we go on to that. Cause it's interesting because I think, Freddy Krueger was such a huge like pop culture sensation. Like he would be on talk shows and whatever. And I, I think it's almost a thing where like, it's similar to like Paul Rubens and Pee Wee Herman. Like Pee Wee Herman was such a cultural icon and would be on talk shows as Pee Wee Herman. But how many people actually know the name Paul Rubens? You yeah, know? exactly. Know. It's 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 a it's a different like kind of thought trap I'm going down right now. But it's just interesting how closely people associate him with the name of associate him with that character. And and have no idea of who the person behind it actually is, you know. He actually, I actually, just like last week, I saw an interview with him, a real short interview in some one of the Hollywood magazines, and uh, they were like, "Oh, you're a, you know, what's it like to be a legend?" And he said. I'm not a legend. He said, Freddy Krueger is the legend. I'm just like the character actor who got lucky. (laughs) Yeah. Well, he's got a documentary out right now. Oh, it must have been promoting that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Well, I'm glad he's, I've seen him in some things where it seems like he takes himself a little too seriously, Mm -hmm. uh, especially his pronunciation of homoerotic in, (laughs) uh, in the, uh, um, the Nightmare on Elm Street 2 documentary. Scream Queen is what I'm trying to think of. So it's refreshing to hear that he, he really does know where he stands in the I hierarchy. Think, I think he ta- I think he's um that's all tongue in cheek. Whenever he acts self serious, it's tongue in cheek. I think he's a he's a funny guy. Okay. Although he does put a lot of thought into the character 
Doctor, and I watched some of Never Sleep Probably Again, too much. that like four hour documentary on. Oh, Nightmare I've seen that Street. shit, and it talks a lot about like Robert Englund's approach to play, and like he he like he was like, no, I'm gonna. He like thought through every decision about Freddy's physicality and the way he says things, and and that's why when they tried to replace him in Nightmare Two, the new guy didn't do a good job. Um, mm. But you might think, well, wait, why are- what? Doesn't he play Freddy in Nightmare Two? Yeah, they brought him back. They brought him. They, there's still some shots. They weren't going to actor, but they were like this guy because they, they realized because it looks like a role oh. anybody can play, and then they put someone else there, and he wasn't like you know holding his body and holding the glove like a like a gunslinger the way Robert Englund does, and they said get this guy out of here. He doesn't have the sauce. We need wow. we need the wettest Freddy possible right now. We gotta get Robert England back. <laughs> yeah, and there was that wet or dry Freddy. Robert England said, "I'll come back, but you gotta make me twice as wet." <laughs> <laughs> I need to watch that documentary. Yeah, it's really good. Uh, really long though. I only made it through like half of it. Mm. But you might be wondering, oh, why are these guys going down this rabbit hole talking about Nightmare on Elm Street, which has nothing to do with <laughs> Choose or Die? I would argue it has a lot to do with Choose or Die because I think what Choose or oh. Die is trying to do is be a sort of a throwback to the Nightmare on Elm Street series. Um, and I think the casting of Robert Englund telegraphs that. I think the Nightmare mm. on Elm Street poster on the wall of the guy's 80s den telegraphs that because the most, I don't know, it, it pains me to say most inspired, but sort of the most striking sequences in this movie are completely in a subjective reality that is conjured up by this cursor game and they're very similar yeah. to the dream sequences in the nightmare on elm street so as much as it hated i must as much as i was frustrated to see the like reality bending there are no rules someone's gonna die you know there's nothing you can do about it sort of logic to the to the scenes i was saying okay i see what you're trying to do here you know you got this the the dreamscapes and the foggy pools and your dead brother coming back to life and all that stuff so hmm. i can um, yeah I, I i hear you there that that does make sense to me that there that there would be a connection there and also like nightmare on elm street the original it uh, it's not a spoiler to say like this definitely seems like it was trying to set up a franchise as well where the video game is basically the freddy of this franchise so i didn't oh, i didn't see yeah. that I, I guess i took a brief look at some of the reviews reactions to this and i guess that seems to be a an opinion that's certainly out there i didn't see it i I mean, I, I guess there's some sequel set up, but I, we've seen far, far worse. Far, far worse. Yeah. We've I, seen more egregious, sure, but I mean, I, I I guess I am pretty cynical, but I did I did read the ending as like, oh, we'll be we'll be hearing more about Cursor soon. And oh. I suppose we might. I don't know if this was a hit for Netflix or not. This was a Netflix original, right? Yes. No? Yes? Okay. I think so. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm on I'm on Team Patrick on this one. I, I didn't re- this didn't read to me as something that was thirsty to set up a franchise or even have a sequel. But time maybe will tell. I was just thirsty for it. Who knows? Maybe you want it. You can't get enough cursor. The ending to me made sense in the context of that character. It completed a, a character arc to a degree and also worked as like sure, I guess a sequel set up. But I I don't know. I, I didn't see anything. Yeah egregious certainly not on the level of a nightmare on elm street (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
So yeah, so I so I have another thought on form here watching this movie, which is uh, I want to talk about the aspect ratio of this fucking movie. Oh, here we go. Uh, we need a theme song for this. <laughs> oh boy. So 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 for those for those of you who you know uh, maybe aren't as well versed in the in the technical terms of, of film, the aspect ratio. I mean, to a layman, basically means how wide is the picture on your screen? You know, how big are those black bars at the top and bottom of your screen? That's not a very technical explanation, but it's the practical one. And this movie is widescreen as fuck. I would I would I would pose a question to you. Which movie do you think has a wider aspect ratio? Choose or Die or Lawrence of Arabia? I mean, I, that, <laughs> that feels guess, like a loaded question. <laughs> I mean, I'm if sure you, it's Choose or Die. If you guess Choose or Die has a wider aspect ratio than Lawrence of Arabia, you are correct. This thing is so fucking wide and it was bugging the hell out of me because look, like there's all sorts of aspect ratios out there. All of them are legitimate. It's an artistic tool. It's like the first thing the cinematographer has to like figure out what aspect ratio am I going to use? There's all kinds of reasons to do it. Sometimes the wider your screen, the more cinematic like a movie it is. But like, you know, famously Steven Spielberg, when he did Jurassic Park, used 185, which was much taller than this because he wanted to capture dinosaurs that were tall, things that were tall. This movie takes place in like small ass interior environments and computer screens. And I thought the result was like almost every shot of this movie seems like very uncomfortably framed, where it's just so much dead space and then just like eyes and mouths sort of like hanging out in the in the fourth quarter of the frame. Very upsetting to watch. I just had to talk <laughs> about that. I'm looking at it now, and, uh, you know, it didn't occur to me because, uh, spoiler alert, this movie didn't really turn the dial for me in any way whatsoever, and it took me three tries, I think, to really, like, get invested enough in it to finish it, but it is looking tight, my friend. That is a tight aspect. So you're yeah. saying there's too much black space on either side, at, at the top and bottom of the... Picture. Yeah, I'm saying it's very long and thin and wide, uh, which fits some movies that are, you know, epics or landscape oriented or whatever. I think, uh, you know, mm -hmm. the widest movie that's been released lately was like The Hateful Eight, where he like did the fucking widest fucking whatever the hell thing he could. But like, make it a little taller. Make it a little taller so we can, because it's not, this, this, this is not doing anybody any favors in these shots, in yeah. these scenes, in these environments. So, hot take point counterpoint again i did not notice this at all during the movie but now that you're saying it i'm casting my mind back and i'm i'm seeing that i'm seeing that maybe it's maybe it's you're just kind of power of suggestion suggestioning me into remembering that because i watched this movie two weeks ago but i think it works because these characters are are constrained they are in small spaces as you said a lot of the time and they're also being boxed in by this fucking game Maybe it works. Maybe it was an intentional choice. And in my mind, in been. my memory at least, which again may be just power of suggestion by you, I'm like, oh, that's kind of a smart choice. And it did contribute to a visual that I can now summon in my mind but did not notice at the time. I mean, half the take. action takes place on a old school CRT monitor, which is square. So, oh, yeah, right. I know. mean, that would have been the real clutch choice, like Kelly Reichardt this shit and do it in like three, four, three. Zack Snyder, this shit, do it in four, three. <laughs> oh, God. Wow. 
Well, that was a dope Kelly Reichardt reference. I'll take that over Zack Snyder any day. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, anyway. Did, yeah, I, I should have. Mm, sorry, I'm trying to summon a pun about meek cutoffs. <laughs> I'm just going to wear some go. meek cutoffs uh, for my hot girl summer <laughs> this year. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that bugged the shit out of me was the sound design this is the most my ears were bleeding the the <laughs> sound the soundtrack is just the most gratuitous synthesizer heavy it's like oh it's, yeah it's like they're trying to do the eight oh the chip thing. tune they're trying to do the 80s synth thing at the same time and it's just oh, i was into it i hated it i except for the gary newman which even became excessive after a while i just i did write chip tune down in my notes because i haven't thought about that kind of music in like 10 years I can hear that gnarly dark synth riff in my head right now, and it was sick. I loved it actually. I it hate it. So, Sounded like someone. It was so ominous. And then you have that ominous voice from the game saying, "You know, like you're hungry. You are a rat." Like the rat sequence was wild. All right. Um, no, the rat sequence especially is one that I thought was horrible. And and the the, the <laughs> rat sequence and the aftermath of the rat sequence when she like goes back into the house and. I just want to play a clip of this and we'll see, you know, the audience can decide if it sounds good or not. And we'll just leave it at that. This was just a aesthetically obnoxious experience for me on top of all the problems I had with the, with the actual story. So Mm. Mm. I, you know, I obviously, as usual, I don't have the technical perspective, but I liked everything that you're saying you hated. <laughs> what did bother me, and this is tiny, this is a nitpick. This is just interesting. This film is primarily, it, the, the director is British, I believe. The leads are British. Mm-hmm. And it stuck out to me at some point that they were talking about I forget who whose line this even was, but they were talking about soldering something. And they pronounced it solder. Oh, like, have you never heard the word solder before? <laughs> and then I looked it up, and it turns out Americans just say solder weird. Anyone else who speaks English says it solder, and Americans oh. say solder. So it's just like the product of Brits making we this movie. Em. And I mean, everyone, all the characters are American and speak in American accents, but it's just one of those. I always love when you have those weird moments where there's an, an obscure enough word that like you, your dialect coach, nobody thinks to adapt it into the the dialect or the yeah. accent of the character. And this is this is one that's, of those. That's the shit you got to drill out of yourself before you go undercover overseas. <laughs> Seriously. Agent. Seriously. But yeah, we're, we're, we we go along, and I mean, our, our protagonist, Kayla, is trying to kind of play this game and unravel the mystery with her friend, Ricky. Her mom is an addict who has been pressured into sex work by their landlord. Which, Jesus Christ, this is... Oh, my... Dude, they just dropped that in here. <laughs> like, just, just trauma porn. Like, like it's this so ridiculous. Is not the movie. It's like yeah. Oh my god. Uh, I, I can't. I can't. I got. That, I got that a detail. I will not defend. I got a. I got a nit to pick about that too to make it even better. I love when uh, 
when our heroine comes home, ha, heroine, I didn't even think about that. Our heroine comes home and her mom is like dead asleep on the couch. Not quite dead, but close to it. <laughs> and there's a, there's a, there's kind of a, not a split diaper, but there's like, like the focus pulls and there's a crack pipe on a table. She's and, smoking like, right a, in front literal, of the camera. a literal, when's the last time you saw someone smoke a literal crack no, pipe? No, that's in a not movie the problem. To show that they're an addict. All right. The problem is that the crack pipe is still smoking. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like way out of arm's reach like she clearly had to like smoke the crack set it down get on the couch and then pass out for god knows how long it's still smoking <laughs> it's just such a dumb detail i don't know <laughs> yeah trauma porn uh, it, it did not uh, i, I uh, did not it was like, gross did not like that did not like that. It's gross. I don't even think it's trauma porn though. Like I don't know if I would have realized that she was being forced into sex work if not for the Wikipedia article. Like this, there's not. I mean, it's a uh, fucking euphoria. This is not like we don't see that happen. Well, thank God. And I don't even know. I don't even remember how we learned that. Like it's not. It's not super uh, gratuitous from what I remember. I don't, I, you know what? Fuck the Wikipedia page. I'm not sure that's in the text of the movie. It might it's be. not. I don't think it is. But we do know that that's the landlord so, yeah, is yeah, giving her a lot is. of shit. A flourish. <laughs> the, the, the drug dealer is a creep who, like, you know, says stuff about sex to the daughter and about the mom. But I, I, I don't know. If, if, it's, if it's clear that, like, there's actual sex going on between the mom and the drug dealer and it's not just him taunting the daughter... Uh, I missed it. Well, no, I don't think it's him forcing her to have sex with him. That was a lot of pronouns. But um, him forcing her t- to have sex with other people to pay off the rent, I think, right? Oh, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's I mean, quite... it's, it's not invented by the Wikipedia article, but it's also not like... It's just so cartoonishly... It, to me, it was so cartoonishly dark for what kind of movie this is. It's like, okay, yeah. we already know that, like, she lost her, what was it, her brother who died, her mom's son, and, like, her mom's on hard times. They're having trouble paying their... That's enough. That's enough. Mom's Mom can't find a job. Dad's out of the picture. Son's dead. Things are sad. We don't need her, her to also be a crack-smoking prostitute. In like a, in, it was just in, way too much. And the landlord was, like, a Stephen King bully, too. Like, I found him to be absolutely ridiculous he was over the top and i mean uh, we could I mean, sure into... we're not going to this movie looking for like realism right no but, but also, i feel like it's trying to present it as such not going to the movie about the cursed computer game looking for realism and look i'll, I'll be the one to say it relying on racial stereotype in a way that's kind of crass i think yeah and i agree with that about too. the the black single mother who's on crack and is a prostitute and has the kid who drowned like it's just it comes on pretty thick uh, do you want to explain the rats i mean you you like did a clip but you didn't explain the rat scene oh it was my least favorite part of the movie it was uh, our hero is like mopping the floors because that's her day job or her night job. Huh? Uh, and the computer spawns in on her floor magically. And it's like, hey, all right, it's time to play the game where the giant rat tries to eat your mom. And <laughs> like, I guess she's playing as the rat. And the Robert Englund's voice is like, where are you going to find the meat? And she's like, oh, she knows her mom's in the bedroom. So she's like, huh, in the in the kitchen, search the kitchen. And then like she's somehow simultaneously on the phone with her mom who's screaming that there's a giant rat in the house trying to kill her and eat her and swallow her whole. We never see this rat. 
which I love. <laughs> and then eventually it corners the mom in the in the bedroom and she has to jump out the window and and, and nearly die. she doesn't die, right? She nearly dies. Yeah, and she's, she's hospitalized. hospitalized with severe injuries. Uh, I just like, realized that that's Robert England as the voice of the game itself, not just the guy on the phone. Yeah. Wow. Okay, even okay, so he spent 5 minutes sleeping voicemails. Yeah, but the yeah. the game doesn't talk that often. This is like the only scene no. I remember where the game actually talks. Right. Yeah. So it's I, kind of inve- it's kind of inventive, but at the end of the day, it's not very cinematic because you're just watching a girl playing a fucking eight bit video game for five minutes. I found it gripping and unsettling. I loved it actually, especially that scene. It was just so weird and surreal. Like just the concept, like I, I don't know, so strange. Giant rat. You don't see the rat. You're playing as the rat. The rat has fucked up your mom, or did it? We don't. It's great. I love that. I, I wanted to see the rat. Is it time to review this thing? Yeah, let's review it. Review or die, bitches. Then we'll move on to the spoiler room. We'll tell you what other gnarly sights and deaths occur in this movie. Hey, I'll uh, go first. Why not? Yeah. Uh, I wonder I'll give what your this... rating's going to be. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is definitely a screw it, but I will say there were a few, there were some things I kind of, it had potential. There were some things I kind of liked it about it, but I just felt like it had like almost even at 85 minutes, it had almost no momentum. I kept like undistracted watching this movie a few minutes go by and I'm like, wait, what? And have to rewind. And it took me like a third start to finally be like, okay, I'm going to sit and just that this is the movie's problem, but I have to watch it for homework. So I'm going to do it. That's never a good feeling, but I, I do think like the basic concept while not totally new. I mean, we've seen, we've even reviewed a haunted old game movie before uh, beyond the gates. And I, I think there are probably others out there similar to this. Like it's still a, a decent concept that just isn't handled very well. There were a couple of sequence, a couple of the kind of like game level, dream nightmare sequences that I thought looked kind of cool, but for the most part, they looked silly. You got people twitching and glitching and itching all over the place, and it just looks dumb a lot of the time. When CGI is used, it's very hit or miss. The characters aren't interesting. Um, it took me a while to figure out that these two are just friends. That's how like thinly sketched they are. I thought they were either brother and sister or in a relationship or something. Like It's just... It's a, it's a thinly sketched movie that I think could have used a little bit more development uh, before they turn the cameras on. So I can't recommend it. So screw it. Patrick, what did you think? I'll give it a cue it. I obviously enjoyed a lot about it. I've been harping on the things I enjoyed because y'all are so negative tonight. But, you know, it is a little messy. There are some extraneous elements. I thought, you know, we've, we've kind of alluded to the... Uh, our, our lead's traumatic background with her brother drowning in a pool the thing that and, and, and other elements kind of seemed like they didn't necessarily need to be there. Um, I thought it was an innovative concept, um, fun concept done relatively well. When you boil it down, it's like a slightly above average episode of black mirror. And when black mirror stays at least above that average line, I'm at least interested you know, I, I don't know. I enjoyed this for the most part. Wow. Chris. That's so interesting. I, I like, I wouldn't even compare this to the worst episode of black mirror, but I'm glad wow. that you enjoyed it more than I did. The worst. The yeah. Holy shit. There are some yeah. bad episodes of black mirror, dude. 
Whew. Well, none that were 85 minutes long and felt like this. <laughs> but I'm, but I'm glad that you're... There were also some long episodes of Black that's Mirror. That's true. That's true. Sorry. And, um, you, were, you were tossing it off to Chris. Yeah. yeah interrupting yeah. way too much tonight. I, I can't. I can't say... I'm trying not to say something good about this movie. One good thing. <laughs> One good thing about this movie... I do that in work meeting. Well, I don't do it, but I have managers that do. Like after an intense meeting, what's one good thing? I'm trying not to. I'm trying not to be that negative about this movie. But I literally, I'm drawing a blank. I hated this thing. (laughs) This thing was awful. Wow. I hate this thing. I think I I would never encourage anybody I know to watch this thing. Um, That's wild. Or yeah, or even put it in your queue. It's madness. It's it's like I said, aesthetically gross dysfunctional on a narrative <laughs> level and just dumb as hell frankly um i was i yes. was wondering watching this like wow like why is this so much worse than wish upon or like think like cursed movies of that nature and i don't know the only explanation i can come up with is that nothing in the the characters are thinly developed and nothing they do matters it's not a nightmare on elm street where like yeah like he's gonna get you in the dream he's gonna he's gonna play unfair in the dream to kill you but then in your waking life you can strategize how to stop it here the game Mm. plays unfair in the dream world and it plays unfair when you're just like in your daily life talking about how to stop it so there's no point we're just waiting watching our clock watching our wristwatch they make choice they make choices that they get out of this. I mean, not to spoil, but like they do do things only because the game leads them to it, and then they they do what the game tells them to do. I don't know. Like I said, I, the I don't, game I, would not lead them to beat the game, which they do. It I, did, guess, I mean, I guess it again, did, spoilers. <laughs> right. No, they figure out things in the process of playing the game. Well, the game doesn't tell them how to beat it. If you, if you, if you stand by that statement in the spoiler room uh we can have that conversation but i don't know screw it no bueno all right well uh by the end of the movie die was the more appealing option for me (laughs) wow Wow. jesus fuck i feel you there this movie was dumb as fuck i'm so glad to almost be done discussing it we are i'm still i'm still i'm like stephen a smith i'm screaming about this movie Uh, i would have even (laughs) i have no idea who that is (laughs) i would have this is one of the few movies i've watched that for this podcast that i don't think i would have finished if not for having to talk about on the podcast wow wow i feel that I feel that because it took me I've three tries. The, op- the, the open house is still the worst movie I've ever seen. <laughs> but this is up there. This is down there. Wow. And now I'm that- responsible for both of you. This There's a common denominator here. I, I don't know what to make of that. Now, the open um, house, I believe you guys on. I will never watch that. Good. That, well, you, that you was probably, more entertaining than this. You'd probably love it, Patrick. You'd probably love it. <laughs> Go play The Last of Us 2 again, watch the open house, and throw in Choose or Die a second time for a chaser. There Have yourself a great again, night. Enjoying things on the show where we're supposed to try and enjoy the things that we watch. Is that the premise? I don't think that, that was ever the what premise. what we agreed on when we started this, is it wasn't going to be a Slam the Movies podcast. I, if I had something nice to say, if I think it's something nice to say, I'll tell you, or I'll put it in the Discord. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we're gonna go. Uh, we're gonna go to the boss battle in a few moments here, down in the spoiler room. Um, who wants to do the spiel? Oh, it's got to be one of you. You're so well practiced. 
Me? Oh, okay. Um, uh, fucking yo. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Yo, it's me, Patrick. Remember me? (laughs) I've been here all along. (laughs) I haven't, I haven't done this in a month, and I think the time before that, Chris did it, so I'm really out of practice here. But hey, if you, uh, want to to see a, a website that's even more cursed than the fucking game in this movie, go to our website, everyhorrormovieonnetflix.com. There's a list of, like, maybe 40% of the movies that we've watched out there and the ratings that we've given them, plus a link to our merch store where you can get a t-shirt with every horror movie on Netflix art on it. You can also follow us on social media. We're at Amoncast, E-H-M-O-N-Cast, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Also, go to our uh, Discord that we mentioned earlier in the show. It's a beautiful community of lovely horror fans from all over the world, um, including some who like it when Chris rants about aspect ratio and sound design. uh, And you can chat about aspect ratios out there if you want to. Uh, There's a link to that in the show notes. Finally... If you're enjoying the show, go uh, leave us a review and rate us on your podcast provider of choice because we like to see the feedback and it helps people find the show. My favorite aspect ratio right now is 2-1. And I have Netflix to thank for this because it wasn't a big thing until Netflix started doing all their original shit with it. But if you watch House of Cards or Stranger Things, they're using an aspect ratio that's a lot thinner than, than... uh, 185 or 169, but it's not quite theatrical. It's 2 1 and it's catching on. I think they, uh, Ari Aster shot uh, Hereditary and Midsummer, I believe, in 2 1. Hmm. Chris, and now you know he's what? back on his 235 bullshit because he's like making an epic film for the theaters and he wanted to go wider. Here's what I have to say about aspect ratios. I have a thought actually about this. I was watching fucking Guardians of the Galaxy 1 and 2 on Disney Plus recently to like because I saw 3 and I wanted to watch the other two. And they have like the IMAX versions of them on there. And mm. usually I'm a basic I'm a poo-pooer about IMAX. I'm like whatever. I'm not paying f- 5 to 10 extra dollars to see like a slightly bigger picture, but watching it on just, you know, my regular TV screen. I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. Anytime it went to IMAX. And I've even watched, you know, fucking the Dark Knight movies where, like, they're constantly switching aspect ratios from IMAX to other shit. But I I noticed it, and I was like, all right, maybe I'm missing out on some shit with the IMAX. So there's, I'll throw you that aspect ratio bone. What's the fucking, what's the fucking aspect ratio of IMAX? Oh, I don't know. Oh, okay. I was going to ask too cuz like I the the last movie I saw on IMAX was Nope, but I I love the IMAX sequences in that and they're used very purposefully and you know, if if it's in fucking 4-3 or whatever it is, I'll notice that, but generally it's not until like halfway through a movie that I notice the aspect ratio. Mm. Or until mm. Chris tells me about it. Mm. All right, well, uh, if you want to follow us to the uh, spoiler room for the final boss, uh, it's up to you. Choose or die. We'll talk to you in a minute. Our aspect ratio is going to shrink to 0-0 for the next 10 seconds, and then we'll be back. Welcome back to the show. We're down here in the spoiler room getting ready to defeat the final boss. We are going to spoil everything about Choose or Die. Where to even begin, guys? 
Oh man, where did we leave? So I mean, they 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 crack the code by doing some shit with a sound. There's a sound in the game, and there's code embedded into the sound, right? You're totally just reading the Wikipedia article, aren't you? No. Oh really? That's from memory. The, okay. Then the Wikipedia article, I'm sure, is much more cogent than the half-assed explanation <laughs> I just gave. Um. Well, they 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 trace the phone number or something. They're like, oh, I, I don't know. Yeah, they get they... the phone number from the the sound in the game, though, don't they? I, think. I don't know. It doesn't Something matter. like that, yeah. What's, That's what's what the in, Wikipedia page says, so I, I'll believe it. What's is our heroes go across the state to this old-ass warehouse where they think they think the, the game might have a relationship with this warehouse. They break into the warehouse. They find the remains of a 1980s laboratory, computer science laboratory, uh, including the little answering machine that answers your call. And they're like, oh, shit, it's this dilapidated answering machine we've been talking to. Maybe there's not a prize after all. And then, okay, this this is the one thing that I thought was an interesting idea in the movie, but it wasn't that interesting. They find out that, like, this game was developed by like occultists basically <laughs> and they're like they got runes and shit they got like a whiteboard full of runes and they're studying some ancient tablet and they're like yeah fuck yeah we're gonna make a game out of this we don't understand it but we're gonna make a game out of this and then in the ensuing action the, the hugo dies how does he die doesn't he choke on the vhs tape I was like, who's Hugo? I forgot that you were calling Asa Butterfield Hugo. Yeah. yeah, he does. He does. Which is really funny looking because it's like glitchy and cutting back and forth. And it just looks like he's kind of sucking dick as the tape is coming in out of his mouth. I kind of oh, wanted to make a little right. gif of it. He gets rewound too much. And he dies. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I found that disturbing. I thought that was a cool visual. I like oh that a lot, God. actually. All right, I'm glad you enjoyed it. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. Thank you so much. <laughs> so he dies. It's very, very kind of sad. Like, you'd think that if you rewind too much and the guy dies, you could fast forward and he'd be all right. I, I don't know. It, it was too no, much. you do it too hard, you break the tape. <laughs> it was too much for his insides to handle spitting out miles and miles of cassette tape. Well, tape. isn't that... Isn't that when it's like the thing where she has to choose between saving him and saving her brother who is already dead? Like they're both in the pool or whatever? No, that was earlier. Oh. The pools they, they enter the pool through a magic portal from their like their their house or their 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 workplace, their little shop where they work oh, on computers. Oh, that's right. Okay, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, it's 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 very arbitrary. All this stuff is arbitrary. It's just like, all right, well, here's the trap for uh, Hugo. He's going to spit some tape. He's dead. All right. And then it says, all right, well, good job completing, you know, every level. Now it's time to fight the final boss. Yeah. And the game airdrops her a ping and she goes upstate. And she finds on the GPS the house of the guy from the prologue of the film. And this this yes. part was semi interesting. Yeah, she she walks into the house and there's the family, they, the 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 uh, they're all dressed up. The wife and the son have these weird little like masks over the parts of their bodies that had been 
mutilated earlier in the film, and it looks like more has been done to them. And this is where the Gary Newman song comes back, because they're saying a prayer around the dinner table, but they're reciting lyrics from the Gary Newman song that we've heard throughout the movie. What does this mean? I don't know. Does it represent some kind of slavishness to nostalgia? I don't know. I don't think this movie is smart enough to really have any ideas about anything, and it's kind of distracting. All right. Well, our hero comes face to face with this guy who apparently, you know, he's the nostalgia nerd from the beginning of the game. He got too deep into the game. His whole family's mutilated and, like, you know, has, like, slavishly kept, like, just, just being held hostage by this guy or so it seems it's kind of unclear and he talks about he invites our protagonist who is black we will remind you to dinner and when he finds out that she has been told to fight the boss he's like wait a minute i thought i was the good guy I did everything I was supposed to do. I made copies of the tape like it asked me to do. And I'm not the good guy. I'm the I'm the final boss. Why can't people like me be the good guys anymore? Yeah. So it's 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 uh coming in late, coming in at the last ten minutes of the movie, they're like, All right, here's a little bit of here's a little bit of contemporary uh politics. And our hero Hey, the line I remember is she says, fuck the 80s. Yeah. And we're like, yes. And I'm sitting up in my seat and I'm saying yes, because that's kind of how I, the 80s, I don't, I don't think that, I don't like 80s nostalgia. And I certainly don't like it after being force fed it like a videotape uh, for an hour and a half. Here's my problem, though. The movie says fuck the 80s as like some sort of catharsis, but the movie itself is so beholden to the Uh, 80s uh. that it really rings hollow and it doesn't seem to really be supporting anything or any theme. Thoughts? Agreed. Agreed. That's exactly how I felt. I couldn't put it better. Patrick? Disagree. This is not Stranger Things. This is not fucking Beyond the Gates. I don't see 80s fetishism here. It's just a vehicle for this the game but the game is an 80s throwback game and the music is all chip tune and 80s throwback music it's like cashing it's it, it's trying to lure you in with the 80s of it all that's the whole movie mm, i i just i don't see it i don't see it well you're blind all right maybe you're blind <laughs> All right, so then, uh, final. I mean, fundamentally, you're sick of this game. You hate this game, and so fuck the '80s. Sure, fuck the '80s along with her. It works as that character saying it, but it seems like it seems like it's supposed to mean something more than that. You're no; these movies are just movies. Sometimes they're just movies. Sometimes (laughs) it's not not about the '80s. It is true. uh, There are so many movies out there that are that are made solely for entertainment value and are not trying to do some thematic shit. I know it's I guess you're right but that's kind of my problem with it because when you have like just some like you invoke some sort of like racial grievance politics stuff at the end of I the I didn't movie. see that either at and all. The, I totally did know. though. I mean like this this movie seemed like it was trying to say something. I don't know. It, again, it seemed like it felt obligated to say something but it didn't really care. M- movies don't movies just like of this caliber for lack of a better word 
they just don't get made without there being themes and ideas behind them and direct and like directors no, making their first no feature way, don't. dude what no way what i i'll find an interview with the director i guarantee you i can find something where he's like yeah actually it's about blah 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 and you're like yeah okay, but that's well, the shit that. that you say when you go on a press tour like i i don't know i just you know you can say any movie is about anything and that doesn't necessarily convince me that you put intentionality like you have to have things to say on a press tour you know like i mean fucking okay well you know. that that is even more cynical in in my mind than the way that i normally think about these things oddly enough <laughs> i think there is a lot of like part and intention put into this thing and that it's just misguided which makes me all the more frustrated with it because i'm like oh like what could have been with these little seeds they dropped throughout that seemed very intentional and just never really amounted to anything i mean ryan gosling is on a press tour right now talking about the intentionality he put into creating the character of ken you know and i like, believe that i believe that barbie looks like a pretty interesting movie i, I believe I mean, it's gonna be an interesting bullshit. movie i don't believe that ken is an interesting character People bullshit, but talking about just what's on the screen, we have a young woman who is not white sitting across the table from a guy, and he says, "Why are you the hero? Why can't guy? Why can't people like me be the good guys anymore?" To which she says, "Fuck the '80s." And the only things we know about this guy are that he's white male Gen Xer. Rich, very rich. Rich. Lives in a, he lives in the Parasite House, apparently. <laughs> I yeah. thought of that, too. I was like, shit, is that actually the Parasite House? So. I mean, Parasite, a movie that clearly has, like, themes and, and intention behind those themes. But there are a hell of a lot of movies out there that are just made for fucking entertainment value. All right. I don't, I don't want to go down this path any further. I'm going to find an interview. I'm going to send it. I'm going to send it to you. I guarantee I there's, mean, there's something out. Again, that's fine, yeah, but it's, well, you know, it's going to be people talking out their ass. Anyway, the final battle is joined, and it's... The gimmick of this is that they're, they're fighting each other, trying to kill each other, but anything that happens to the other person actually affects them. So if you, sh- if you stab the guy, if she stabs the guy, she gets cut in the same place where she stabbed the guy. And so they're like, oh, so how do we, how do we win? And I guess she ends up drowning, which kills him. He drowns on dry land, but then she comes back to life. Yeah. Yeah. She grabs like a giant parasite statue, jumps into the pool to use it as like a weight to hold her at the bottom. But she doesn't actually drown because of this weird relationship between the two of them. And he drowns on dry land, which... I also thought was kind of cool. That's a cool idea. I like that. I have sure. one good thing to say about this movie. He's like spitting up water while he's just yeah, oh, standing, yeah. <laughs> standing not in a pool. I remember that. He's he's like just like spitting up a copious amount of what looks like digital water uh, for an extended period of time. Mm-hmm. And then he dies. All right. Yeah. Oh. I haven't seen that before. Oh, yeah. No, it. it, it yeah, at first it's real water, and then it is very conspicuously digital, and that that distracted me. That bothered me. Yeah, and then she wins. And what's her reward? I don't think she gets the money, but she does get to become Lord of the Game. She becomes and, the Cursor. And she is now the Cursor, not the but She's going to use it for good. 
and she's going to use it for quote unquote good. And maybe she's using some of her computer science skills uh, to do this, but basically she is sent, she's taken the game uh, onto an app because she sends it to her bully landlord. And then he he has to shove his face into a bunch of needles. Yep. Yep. So basically this becomes saw. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's always there's a little bit of saw energy, at least a little bit of saw energy throughout this entire movie. Yeah, if it's aim on, it must be saw. So mm. now she's gonna use the cursor to, yeah, through to punish people by magic. The end. That's your movie. Choose or die. That's right. That's where I felt like it was setting up for a sequel. But then again, you know, a movie's got to have an ending, and like, is a sequel setup really all that different from a stinger? You know, you can. I could go one way or the other. Yeah, and that's where I'm saying, like, it made sense to me that she would want to, like, use this newfound power to fuck up the assholes in her life and that she at least thinks she's going to use it for good going forth. It was an interesting, like, uh, uh, yeah, resolution, I guess, to that character arc that also works as a setup for a movie that, sorry to say it, would be interested to see. Sure. Wow. So uh, what are you interested to see on the next episode, Patrick? Yes, I believe it is my turn to pick since Stephen and I switched places since I had to sit out last episode. So uh, this next episode, uh, you know, we, we're, we're in the, the Netflix game. We want to know how the sausage is made at Netflix. And recently, a very prominent person got a very big job at Netflix. That person is Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> and oh, God. We're going to watch... I. I'm pretty sure the only horror film that he has on Netflix right now, End of Days, on our next oh, episode. I'm into Fantastic. it. Fantastic. Have you guys love seen Arnold. this? No. No. I haven't I, seen it. I love Arnold as well. It looks like no one loves this movie, but I'm very curious to see it. I've never, I don't sure remember seeing Arnold in a horror movie. I remember the commercials. I mean, let's horror, let's use that. Don't get your hopes up on the horror front. Yeah, uh, I know okay. that he fi- he fires a, a bazooka at the devil because that was. In the oh, we're gonna see ad. the devil. Oh, yeah. good. Yeah, we're gonna when, see the devil. When, and I haven't when, seen him since I was five, so I'm thrilled. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe it'll All be right. the end of days for this podcast. <laughs> yeah, one can only hope. Well, until next time, this has been every horror movie on Netflix. I've been Stephen. I've been Chris. And I'm Patrick. Bye bye. I, I still am Patrick. I'm Patrick in the present tense, baby. See you next time. Bye.